Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today, we've got an extra special guest for you all, Paul Hemming, the co-founder of C-Link a procurement software for construction SMEs, and also the a fellow podcast host of Own the Build podcast. So Paul is a QS by trade, and he co-founded C-Link to bring the benefits of supply chain management and efficiencies that large companies have to the SME market. At least that's what I understand of it. So <laughs> Paul, welcome, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. Extra special guest. I'll take that, Rod. I will take that. So I'm happy with that on a Friday morning. Good stuff. So, Paul, I guess give everyone a bit of background as to yourself. I've kind of mentioned, obviously, QS by trade, co-founded C-Link. Give us a bit, of, bit more info as to what C-Link is and the problems that it solves and, and a bit about you. Okay, cool. So thanks for having me on the show, Rod. And um, a little bit about me. So I am from the Midlands. And I was a quantity surveyor, sadly. Not the coolest of jobs, is it? But I was, a, I was a quantity surveyor. Came straight out of school, went into quantity surveying and studied part-time. I did four days a week, worked one day a week at university. I worked only ever as a subcontractor. So I was always in um, building envelopes and doing all the pretty stuff on the outside of the buildings. Worked initially for five years in the Midlands and then moved to London and did six, seven years at a company called Permis de Lisa Group, working on really big buildings like 20 Fenchurch Street, the Walkie Talkie, the Shard, Battersea Power Station. So I was doing that for a long time, having fun as much as you can, I guess, do it doing that. And then I was in the pub with a good friend of mine who was also a QS. Where, six, where, seven where years all ago. good business ideas come. All the magic happens in the pub, doesn't it? Yeah. So to be fair to him, it was all Chris's idea. Chris was a main contractor working on, say, five million pound refurbs in London. I was working on obviously much bigger projects, but the problems that Chris had were exactly the same as the problems I had, even though we're in different ends of the sector. And that was that number one, just the process of undertaking procurement was very paper-based, took a lot of time and wasn't very regimented, despite the fact that I was working for a billion euro company. And in addition to that, I'm sure this is something that you will have experienced having access to the good guys so to speak and having an understanding of the right people for the right project and all the different types of projects something that is really hard to do we wanted to create that environment where no matter what project you were building you would connect with four or five very very good people and always be able to competitively tender because more often than not on every construction project people are making decisions based on having a gun to their head in terms of time and not making the best commercial decision, let's say. So that's something that we wanted to change. Six and a half years later, here we are today with C-Link, and it's a product that we initially envisioned being very much used by main contractors. We were both from a contracting background, and it is. Main contractors are using it, but we found a bit of a niche with SME property developers kind of changing their procurement approach when it comes to construction and actually wanting to be able to manage the process themselves not use a main contractor and we actually have a lot of developers who are 
construction managing, self-building, doing it themselves, however you want to call it, and using the tool. Well, I, I guess the big kind of um, issue from an SME developer's or small developer, that sub kind of five million pound of construction cost comes, like you say, same problems as the big companies, but the big difference is the margins for the big company, the operational costs can be swallowed up. So you've got, you've, although they might be operating on smaller margins than the smaller companies, actually, because it's a much higher value uh, job, you can afford to pay the odd kind of 40 grand fee for a professional. Whereas on the smaller jobs, yeah, you've got a nice margin, but it's very difficult to swallow up those operational costs from professional services. And so I'm sure lots of other people have found that. So I totally get uh, where you're coming from. I totally get Mm -hmm. the problem. And and it's, uh, yeah, we've had a good look at uh, at C-Link and it it looks to be a a really, really useful tool, especially not just if you're operating your own build, but also just to kind of get your ducks together in terms of what professionals you are going to use and you do have them Mm -hmm. for and how they're going to kind of work work with each other one thing that i found and, and we've we've interviewed quite a few kind of prop tech and construction companies in the past and one thing that seems to be difficult is getting buy-in from the industry that is really <laughs> quite an old school industry the construction industry and can be stuck in their ways at times mm. what how hard was it getting buy-in from the construction industry in, in, in terms of this? And what advice would you give to maybe other disrupting companies trying to break into the construction and, and development space? It's funny, actually. There's one story that sticks out in my mind from the very, very early days of trying to prospect and sell ceiling. And so obviously we're a platform where you have this pre-qualified, engaged community of good guys sure. uh, we're filtering out 98 percent. we've got this really good detail we've got all the insurances blah 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 on them and i was sat having a conversation with this chap who was probably in his late 50s he'd been in construction for a long time construction director and he effectively said to me i don't need any of this i've got this and tapped on this little notebook that he had next to him and he said in here and he waved it in my face he said i've got probably ten thousand contractors in here so i don't need this and i said Fair enough. You know, there's, there's no, <laughs> a little bit of me at the time, my heart sank because I really wanted to make yeah. the sales very early days. But in retrospect, it made me think, you know, that guy is never going to want to, <laughs> yeah. to change the way that he works. He's stuck in his, in, in his way. And construction is really quite archaic in its mentality. But that is shifting. Obviously, we've been doing this for over five years now. And I really felt beforehand that, it was, there was a lot of resistance. COVID has really accelerated how people are adapting. It's made, it's opened people's eyes a bit. So that has helped. There was a, when we were first setting out our original business plan in 2016, McKinsey did a report where they looked at innovation uptake or digitalization, let's say, of the 22 major sectors of work yeah. in the world. And, constru- and there's 22 and construction came a beautiful 21 out of 22 for uptake. So it just, at, at that time, it, I don't know. Actually, I've been asked that question before, you know. I, I do need to actually go back and check, but I'm not sure what was 22nd, but construction, obviously, right at the bottom. However, I do think things are starting to shift. But if you look at us as a sector generally, and I think BIM is a fantastic example of just how slow we are, 
BIM is something that has been around for 20 odd years and I see no SME projects using it. I only see larger tier one projects using it. It's becoming more of a thing. It's becoming more of a, SMEs know that it's coming down the line, but 20 years, governments push that. Governments yeah. put billions into it and still we are where we are. What I, what I tend to find, and um, hopefully I'm not as archaic as the guy with the black notebook, but I'm probably not far, <laughs> probably not far behind in terms of kind of my, my tech skills, but my mind has certainly opened up a lot over the past few years as to kind of just efficiencies of doing business. And really that's what it is. It's when I'm doing business, I'm looking at where the frictions are and how I can smooth them out. And, and software and tech in general can really help that. The other issue, and this, this sounds quite, might sound quite negative really, but it's, it's anything where you've got different sources of labor. So humans, an element of human where you get mm-hmm. human error as well. It's, it's trying to mitigate as much human error as possible. And I've just found that maybe with, uh, I don't know whether you're seeing this as well, but with SMEs, it's normally kind of younger <clears throat> people coming into that market because they haven't organically grown up to be the big kind of corporations yet. And so you've got that element, but then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got these very, very large corporations that are adopting a lot of these strategies, like you kind of mentioned before. And then in the middle, you've got this archaic kind of stuck in their ways, we know what we're doing, leave us to it, industry. And, and, and I guess maybe you're, you're going for the SME market. Are you finding that there's much more kind of openness to engage in, in new I guess, new softwares and new new ways of doing business in the construction industry from there. I think so, yeah. I think so. I mean, the uh, technology adoption curve, I forget what it's called exactly, but that uh, curve where you have early adopters and yeah, yeah. Uh, all the different stages, that chap who I was speaking to was someone who, at the time, and these are the things that you learn when you're growing a business, particularly a tech business, is you've got to accept that, people are just going to just not get it, not yeah. be interested. And that's definitely been the case. I think as a, as a, it definitely was the case a few years ago. I think as the sector has evolved and as digitization has impacted us more and more and the benefits are impacting us more and more, we are no, we're still in the early adopter stage, but we're kind of it's starting to become uh, more widely spread, let's say. So yes, I am definitely seeing more and more people. People are now very open to it they're looking for their own solutions to things different solutions for horses for courses right but definitely as a as a sector it's moving in the right direction let's say but still slow we're probably if we're tw- i imagine we're probably still 21 or 22 i need to check on that don't i <laughs> um and so you kind of touched on like scaling and growing the business there what have been some of the challenges in, in one bringing ceiling to the market and then two scaling up over the past six and a half years Good question. How long have you got? I've already got, I've, I've got all day, have we? So no, I'm joking. But, you know, our model, as I've already touched on, is both software and marketplace. We want to have that engaged tendering process. The software obviously came with its challenges, but the primary challenge for scaling and growing the business comes from the marketplace. And we are trying to build a community that is the opposite of the yellow pages or of Google's model, if that makes sense. So we don't want to just be big, long lists of absolutely everyone. We are filtering out, as I said earlier, 98% approximately 
won't be suitable for us. We've taken through 2%. So that process is something that is done by our in-house commercial quantity surveying team, but isn't something which allows you to just click your fingers and scale to 10,000 overnight, if that makes sense. But, but I guess that's a great thing because it just shows your values in the business is kind of trust, integrity, quality as well, which is from a customer like me's point of view. Mm. That's what we want to see. We want to know when we're going onto the platform that all these subcontractors or different contractors on there have been um, there's been an element of quality control in terms of the vetting to to get them there uh, rather yeah. than just kind of having a uh, one of these i don't know a bit a bit like what trust a trader maybe has turned into mm-hmm. where it's kind of anyone can be on there and you're not sure how honest some of the some of some reviews of are reviews are yeah yeah exactly and i'm sure they started out with the best intentions in in in, in uh, kind of for, for, for the product but I guess how, do, how kind of a segue into, into my previous question here I haven't even let you answer it yet but how do you kind of manage that quality control when you're scaling because when it's starting you're you're quite open there's a bit of fluidity but as you get big there's a danger of becoming a tick box company where you're just kind of ticking the boxes to get them in how, how do you how do you manage that yeah it's a good question and you know business model is obviously plays a big part in that. Our business model is relatively unique in terms of the longer term relationships that we have with subcontractors at the outset. Whereas, I don't know, a trusted trader, and again, I don't know their business model inside out, but you know, I'm imagining that a lot of these companies where you end up with a subscription model, the more people you have on the list, the more profit you're going to make. So you're well, eventually guess, chasing quantity versus quality. I guess it's probably more of an advertising model, really, isn't it? It's kind of a, mm. I don't know what the old, um, whoever said this was, but your business isn't big unless you're making money from advertising from it kind of thing, um, yeah. which is, which is a, a great one. Guess what? We're Probably we, we need to get some advertisers on, on the podcast, don't we? So, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. um, so, yeah, so some of the other problems then in, in, in scaling it up? Yeah, the other, I'd, I'd say the other primary problem that we have had or challenge that we have had is that to, we've got two primary clients. Number one is the developer or the main contractor who is doing buying. They're going on the software and doing all their contracts and whatever through it. They're buying. And number two is the subcontractor who is tendering for work, et cetera, et cetera. So when you start, the business and you're going out to developers and main contractors saying we've got this amazing software and you're able to competitively tender on it their question is how many subcontractors do you have and obviously when you start the business you have lovely zero and by the same token when you go to the subcontractors say we've got this portal where you'll be able to tender for work they say how many developers and main contractors have you got buying on it and you're obviously at the outset have to say none right so one of the problems is chicken and egg to some degree with scaling the business at that initial outset and there was some challenge around that and as we grow into different regions in the UK it is something that we're seeing again but you know once you get over that initial hurdle we have absolutely proven that our our concept in its truest nature works really really well so once we get to that point it's now just about scaling and and that's and that's what it's all about for any business isn't it it's proving the concept and once you've proven it then it's easy to scale it's a bit like um when foxton's open a new branch in a new area and what they Mm. do is they go and say look for the first i don't know 20 
properties uh, will do it for zero percent because they need to prove the concept in that area so that when a new customer yeah. comes to them, well, how how many have you sold in the area? They can go, okay, well, we've done these ones, and and and, and exactly, that's, yeah. So that causes a problem because if a business cannot actually prove the concept that they do what they <clears> they're going to do, then they've lost a bit of kind of money and and resources and time and and all that stuff. So and as a startup, you haven't got any money, exactly. you haven't got many resources, and you definitely haven't got much time. So yeah, that is it's, it's difficult. Fantastic, and so at the moment. Like every day we read the news and we've got kind of inflation like flashing in front of us. What obviously about the rising costs in construction, you, you, you're dealing with materials, but also labor. You're kind of, you're probably in a really <coughs> good position to see in real time what's happening. How much of these rising costs do you think is down to labor and how much of it do you think is down to material the vast majority is material to be honest that's not to discount that labor isn't a big part of it because it absolutely is it's kind of like the perfect storm of where we are Mm. today obviously you've got a little bit of covid thrown in you got a little bit of brexit thrown in you know there's there's a lack of supply which led to more demand couple that with the fact that we were all locked down there was even more demand on top of that so Perfect storm, but both materials and labour are absolutely huge issues. We're we're finding that with labour, it seems that everyone's, like you said, there's a lot of demand and there's lots of building going on at the moment. And um, when we're getting things kind of tendered, it seems that a lot of the subcontractors are just and they can afford to go, do you know what, we'll, we'll... We'll go for the job, but it's not the end of the world if we don't get it because we've got so many, so much other work on. So let's let's push up our margins a bit. Let's push them up, and that's what. I mean, that's that's for sure true. Yeah, that's absolutely something that we've seen. Yeah, I mean, with with the portal, we obviously get to see fluctuating trends and cultures almost of what people are doing. And for sure, in 2021, from let's say June, July through to October, November time. Mm-hmm. The wind was well and truly in the sails of the subcontractors. And it doesn't happen often, right? And I used to be a subcontractor, actually, so I do have a bit of a soft spot for them. But there's definitely a case of growing demand for their services and dwindling supply. So there was, between July and September in 2021, there was 43,000 job vacancy so there's clearly a skill shortage yeah and yeah. the high the highest ever recorded before that was 40,000 wow. so we're we're way we're way above yeah. where we've ever been before so there is definitely that but for what is really driving up subcontractor prices is the cost of buying materials as well and are there any kind of specific materials that have gone up so to give an example <laughs> we're doing a site at the moment and um, we did another there was another site that we we got new water connections for the units and we did one on the same road not like 100 meters down the road exactly the same kind of connection six months before and the prices of the water connections went up by 45 percent in six months and when i asked the company to justify this their response was it materials i said water connections what bloody materials (laughs) and um I, I, I kind of almost get the impression that some companies, look, I get that raw material prices have gone up by mm. an amount, but I do sometimes <laughs> think that it's a bit of, there are... Opportunism. Some, yeah, there's some companies going, do you know what? It's all in the media. 
let's buy into this and, and, and just shout about that. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I mean, when you think about so construction materials index CMI, CMPI, whatever some people yep. call it, is at its highest point on record. I think steel is up sixty five percent. Timber is up. Hello, everyone. I, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called Signature Property Finance. They are a bridging loan provider based in Solihull, Birmingham. The company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively for a term of between six and 18 months. They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again, for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product. They will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed-use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? Well, in, other, in the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature do what they say they're going to do. Provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate, the terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all Rodcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the Rodcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the Rodcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. Timber is actually a really interesting one. And actually, this is quite sad. The show. Oh, it's, it's crazy. I, I, so I did, a, I did a webinar on this topic with Nimbus Maps a few yeah. Probably in November now, and quite a sad person. I'm a QS, so you know that, that says that says what it is, right? But I, I was looking at because I was seeing all these trends with prices through our system. And I wanted to understand better, and I think timber is actually a really interesting one to understand. If you look at the the futures index for yeah. lumber, you'll see that kind of like pre-pandemic, it was four hundred, four hundred dollars, and then during the pandemic, it went up. It went up to a crazy amount in the first vaccine. I did a 2x, basically. First uh, lockdown, sorry, 2x. Then came back down as we all went back out in the summer. And then last year, after the wind troubles that we had, it yeah. actually ended up going up to 1,600. So it, just raw timber did a 400%. Did a, it did a 4x. So that is 
but then just it dropped, dropped all the way back down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so but this, but this is interesting in the context because I actually had a bit of a look the other day because like I said, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sad person. But So in November, I was preparing for this webinar with Nimbus. Sure. And at that point, it had dropped all the way back down to about six, 700. So let's say 30, 40% above yeah. the rolling average pre-pandemic. But right now, it's back up at about 1,200 again. So it's skyrocketed again. So you, it, we are still in this position where we're just yeah. seasonal. If you look at, I think you can see it on trading economics or something like that, but if you want to understand what has happened or what is happening, I would honestly have a look at the Lumber Futures Index on trading economics. You'll get a real good feel for just how crazy what we're going through actually is. And so there you have it, Lumber, the uh, the Bitcoin of the commodities market. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That's, uh, I'm sure there you go, yeah, yeah exactly. But yeah, it's fascinating. And, and so obviously, numbers one, and the US is obviously seeing this a lot more because they build a lot more in, in kind of timber. Yeah. Um, bricks are still, are still getting some of it. How much of that is down to actually maybe the, the factories and what have you kind of closing during, certainly at the beginning of kind of 2020, thinking there won't be that demand and obviously demand shut up and now they're chasing their tails versus... Yeah the whole kind of shipping issues and, and things like that. Do you, any, any kind of yeah. insight into that? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really have an angle on ratios, percentages of, of that, but you, you have to think that we said it's a perfect storm of COVID and Brexit. It really is. COVID being the predominant reason why there is a challenge with supply and then obviously demand. So all the factories close, Nothing happens, and then everyone opens and says, "I need timber, I need timber, I need timber." So clearly, you can see that that is kind of like at the fulcrum of the problem that we have. But there's no doubting that Brexit is very much playing its part because uh, talking about those construction workers being at 40, the highest vacancies we've ever had, forty-three thousand. Brexit has played its part in that, and likewise, it has then played its part with the logistics as well, with us having a lack of drivers, but also. More bureaucracy oh, all the labourers have gone off to be HGG drivers and, and, and earn 50, starting salaries of 55 grand and things like that. So, Sounds good, doesn't it? Why are we sat here today, Ross? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Paul, what advice would you give to developers considering not using a main contractor and moving straight to kind of managing <clears> and doing that for the first time? What, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Run as quickly as you can to C-Link and buy our product. <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't say that. I Again, this is... So when we set up our business, we set up our business, and I remember writing our business plan, looking at what was happening to construction costs, right? And if I was a developer, which I absolutely am not, um, I would be thinking about the, li- the longer-term strategy, right? So in the next five years... BCIS, RICS are saying construction is going to go up 15% in cost. Mm-hmm. Forget what's happening now with what we've just discussed and how mental that is. Mm-hmm. It's going to go up another 15%, right? And it was the same in our business plan, right? So they're just going up and we've got to get, got to come to, to, we have got to come to terms with it. Um, I think it's a good thing for, it's one of the reasons why we set up the business that we have. But if I was a developer, I would be thinking about how much money am I in it for one project I'm in it for 10 projects. I'm in it for 20 years. How long am I going to be around? Because if I am going to be around for the long term, this construction material problem or construction cost problem 
is a long-term challenge I'm going to face. Just explain that next five years, you've got 15%. That's a lot of your margin eked away. So if you're thinking about it in the context of the longer term, right, I would seriously think about the employment of a main contractor and whether or not you do it. I'm not for a minute trying to say that it's really simple to not use a main contractor. Obviously, it is and it comes with its challenges, which we can talk about. But if we, if we just exemplify it with like, if you're going to spend £1 million on construction in 2022 by the employment of a main contractor, and I'm going to massively simplify the numbers here, so don't hold me to this. Don't don't no one tell me that I'm being ridiculous. But this is generally what we're looking at, right? £1 million, let's put 10% to overheads and profit for the main contractor. So let's say that's 100000 you can instantly extract. Then you have a further 10%, which is allocated to prelims, right? And those prelims are the employment by the main contractor of site manager or project manager that you have no control of. You don't know what their CV looks like and then various other bits and pieces, right? So of that million pounds, 10% can be yours and a further 10%-ish, can you'll spend it, but you can spend it on the recruitment of someone whose CV you've seen, who's been through your vetting process yeah. and who is embedded into your business. So you've so, got more control over the process and the quality. Of absolutely, it. yeah. And then and then the, the, they're working on that project, but also helping you, what do you think of the build costs on this project and the next project? So really helping you. There's other challenges within that, and I've, I'm saying that they are simplified numbers. We've done a lot of talks about it on our podcast. But So if you set that with the 1 million, so if you're going to be building... One million pounds a year for the next 10 years, that's 10 million pounds. So you're talking about an extra million pounds of profit and an extra million pounds, a million pounds spent on management that you decide and is operating in your interest, not in somebody else's interest, right? So appreciate that it's not simple to do it and there are challenges within that. But if you're looking long term, and just something that... Again, sorry, sorry to kind of in and go off at a slightly different angle. But when you are looking at hiring someone like that, should you be going for a jack of all trades, someone that's kind of there to project manage the site, who's got skills in both on site, but also in procurement of zero yeah. second fixed items? Or should you try and split the roles? We've talked about, excuse me, we've talked about this a lot as well to be honest with you and i would you want to go for a commercially minded project manager yeah. i would love to say that was that was all my own idea but obviously i see lots of our clients have these people embedded in and i can see it so i mean if a one million pound build so my background would be working on 400 million pound projects right yeah when i was working on 400 million pound projects i had two or three of them um that i was working on as a qs right so if i was to if you were to ask me to QS or project manager, one million pound build, I believe it would be not a walk in the park, but I could do it in two or three days a week. Right. So a project manager to manage both the site and the commercials should be absolutely fine to have one. Obviously yep. as you then grow and expand out, you obviously look to split roles or get in quantities of bears or whatever you want to do. But I guess that's the problem of, when you're at the smaller end of the industry, like doing mm-hmm. million pound bills, is is you is finding the people, and everyone that's on your team, 
they can't really be a specialist in one thing because they've got to be able to do a few different aspects of, of, of the role. And I, I guess that's one of the really difficult things about being involved in a smaller in a smaller business, whether it is okay. construction yeah. or whatever it is. Is that something that you, you find? It's, it's something that we have in our own business, right? It's, so we're a team of uh, 12 now and we're still very much small young entrepreneurial in spirit if that makes sense and people are still doing stuff that in a larger software company they wouldn't be picking up because roles are more defined and there's less ambiguity so that's something i know from running my own business and absolutely that's something that you would have at the outset when you're setting up but what i'm trying to say is that project managers that you're going to be employing for 60 70k will be able to manage both the the on-site and the off-site with relative ease the challenge is at what point do you employ them if you're a developer i guess right because i don't want to just stick my hand in my pocket and just spend that money and the funders aren't necessarily going to say that i can do it that way so there is it's not simple to get to that point that's a really good point about financing it because where does that fit in do you have to have your own management company that's separate from the spv with the development in that then you recharge to the development spv a fee for that project management service. Um, it's, there's That's the- generally what it's done, yeah. I mean, yeah. From our clients will have SPV and then they'll have Paul Hemming Developer Limited and then yeah. they'll have number one High Street Limited yeah. as well. And so that is generally the setup. And I mean, there's a number of steps that you need to take. It isn't simple. The steps that you need to take are identifying that construction resource, that project manager, site manager. Perhaps initially you you identify that resource on a consultant contracting basis so they're tied in but they're not a employed paye resource that's definitely something you can and then there are certain steps that they will guide you through but again big picture here i like to think about the big picture is i'm gonna do 10 million pounds of construction build in the next 10 years do i want two million pounds of that two million pounds of that to be nothing to do with me or do I want one million pounds myself and one million pounds to employ and make my team better my business better make everything in my business better because if you're a developer like it or hate it and maybe the majority of you hate it right but you've got to deal with construction yeah yeah absolutely and I guess you've kind of answered it there it comes down to your pipeline and how confident you are in actually getting those things across the line then we go down kind of the route of kind of project managing the things that aren't construction so the planning process and things like that which are all these other moving parts um what would you say then are biggest risks to sme developers and contractors in in the current market at the moment and what can and what can those small businesses do to mitigate those risks Apart from obviously go to sea link and uh well yeah i mean you've taken the answer right (laughs) no i mean i I can only look at it from a construction angle for developers i appreciate that developers have got big challenge with land and finding the right land but i can only look at it from a construction perspective Mm -hmm. and i would genuinely repeat what i've said before which is you have 15 percent increased construction costs coming in the next five years without covid without brexit that's what you have coming to you and how are you going to control that who's going to manage it and how are you going to feel 
confident about it because I speak to so many developers who are very worried about is it is my construction cost appraisal worth the paper it's written on is that is that going to be right and uh, that will remain a challenge of course but having that expertise in-house and having real focus on reducing that I guess like my kind of argument against that then might be we say it's 15% over five years that's only two percent a year and is that obviously with kind of inflation and everything else you'd hope it you'd be hoping that your margins everything else will be going up by to go up with it yeah yeah so that kind of that doesn't concern me as much as actually just looking at what you've said about do I want 15% or sorry the 20% going to the margin of someone else and going to someone that isn't in my control yeah well exactly I mean that so the the easiest way you get back that 15% is you extract that 20 initially I guess people need to put a price on the time and energy and skill set it takes in order to one hire and two manage those people in the processes and some people have some people are great managers some people aren't yeah, yeah. you can be lucky and find the right person and not hundred percent and and how do you put a price on that how do you put a price on that time effort and well i think yeah it's it's not easy and again i'm not for a minute trying to suggest Finding a project manager is the easiest thing ever. No. It's not. <laughs> Managing a project manager is the easiest thing ever. It's obviously not, right? But finding a main contractor, is that the easiest thing ever? How do you do your pre-qualification? Have you ever done loads and been let down? There's yeah. nobody listening that who has not done a building project who hasn't been let down, right? The chat, so you're. it's exactly the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same thing. You've got to find them, you've got to vet them, you've got to roll the dice on them. Right. And, and does C-Link, obviously I know you, you can go on C-Link and get, um, get these contracts and subcontractors. Do you, is, is there something, um, is there a way to find project managers through C-Link as well? There is actually, yeah. I mean, it's not something that we've focused on massively at the outset. We've been more focused on trades and yep. contracting. Sure. But we do have uh, project managers and quantity surveyors also embedded into the software and the system and the community. So for sure. And, and going back to your previous question, how do you, how do you put a value on it? Mm. I don't know because I'm not a property developer, but the way I would value it is I'm going to spend, how, how long am I in the game for? I don't know about you, Rod, but it, I, I guess you, you're, you're probably planning on doing X potential more projects, right? What's yeah. the construction cost going to be? Is it going to be 10 million more that you spend? Because yeah. if it is, that's how you value it. Yeah. And you just think, what am I going to get for that 10 million? Am I going to get agony and a lack of control with main contractors or maybe get lucky? Yeah, that or... either way, aren't we? <laughs> well, you're definitely going to get a little bit of agony because why not, eh? <laughs> but you see what I mean? That's, uh, that, you've got to look at it bigger picture, I think. And then on, on that subject of kind of vetting, what advice do you, would you give to people about about vetting contractors because this is always a very a very difficult one typically in the construction industry especially when you're talking about the smaller lower end of the market you get people on these firms that come out and do a really good job and then word gets out that they do a really good job they scale very quickly and suddenly yeah. they're not able to to give that that service that they once same were. service yeah how 
what advice would you give to people about vetting for contractors and subcontractors? Standardise it. So always do it in exactly the same, yep. asking the same questions so you're comparing apples with apples. And, you know, it's, it, it's not easy. The way, the way that we do it is there are, we do a pre-qualification and an ongoing post-qualification. So it's a high bar that you've got to jump over to get in. And to, to do that, you've got to give us your references, your portfolio. We've got to speak to you, interview, et cetera, et cetera. So for us, they have to get through our QSs, if that makes sense, get yeah. through our own and, recommendation. And, and, and for them to get over that hurdle, so all the ones that don't make it, what's the majority, what's the main reason that they don't get through that first round of kind of Qualified. You know, it can it, it it can be something as simple as poor communication, which is which would, is so important. Yeah, in in fact, I would actually say that quite often you can understand from someone's ability to communicate with you to meet a deadline and to positively enter a conversation and almost to lead the conversation is quite a big defining factor as to whether you think yay or nay because that is. You'll know when you're procuring contractors, there'll be if you've got three or four pricing, there'll be one that is a really good communicator who you instantly have a better rapport with and a better feeling about. So communication is such an important thing for us. It's such an important thing for people when they're tendering in that process, but also when they're on site. So that's 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 a big part of it. But then obviously there's also insurance accreditations, all those boring things that are part of it as well. But also as well as the pre-qualification. We also kind of do post-qualification. So if we see people being poor communicators after they're over or being late with returning tenders or whatever else or performing poorly on site, which we haven't had much of, but then there's a further filter there as well. And so it's, it's an ongoing process. The challenge being, if you're a Mace or a Bell for BT, you have got, they clearly know it's a challenge because they've got procurement director, procurement managers, they've got QSs, they've got supply chain, they've got everyone working on this <clears throat> and they're spending millions of pounds a year doing it. What we're trying to do is scale that, if you like, to the SME so that there's standardization and then you pick it. But you, look, you're always going to have, no matter how perfect the contractor or individual is, there's always going to be challenges and there's always, everyone is eventually going to have a bad project because that's kind of life to some degree. And, and I guess the, one of the things to kind of mitigate that, like in any kind of business really or industry, is making sure everyone knows what's expected of them and what a good job looks like and how that's mm-hmm. being measured. Because one of the things we've struggled with in the past is, okay, this is what you need to do, fantastic, but their idea of what a good job looks like might be different to ours. And it's yeah. how they're being measured is something that not just we need to understand, but they need to understand how, how, how that's coming across. So I completely agree with that. Meeting deadlines on a build schedule or whatever it is. I mean, and, the, and it all comes back to the communication point is being mm-hmm. so, so important. Brilliant. Okay, so let's move on to uh, the podcast that you host, Own the Build. How, what was, what was the, the kind of the idea behind that and, and how is it helping your business? So we have been going for over five years now and our initial strategy, if you like, to grow an audience was 
in the written form. Yep. For a number for a number of reasons, we we opted for that. One of the primary ones being that in construction, there is a lot of jargon and a lot of it's very fragmented. You, everyone works in their own silos, if you like. And when I first came into it, I couldn't believe how little, how many acronyms and terms there were that I didn't really know about or understand. So we wanted to create an environment where there was lots of knowledge share. So we did that through blogs and a lot of eBooks and we built up a community of about 15,000 engaged uh, subscribers. And we then just wanted to really convert that into a more palatable form, if you like. So if, if listening to me rattle on is a palatable form, but so we've, we've, we've gone to audio and we just recorded um, episode number 50. Episode 50 comes out on Monday and uh, it's, it's, it's funny You'll, you'll, you'll understand this, I'm sure, with a podcast in that it's, an unu- it's brand marketing and it's marketing in a way where you don't really know who's listening or what yeah. they think to some degree. But the numbers are getting better and better. It's good. So in terms of what it's done, it's, uh, it's been really positive for us. You know, I, I really enjoy meeting lots of people each week and having interesting conversations. It's done the world of good for my network, if that's anything. Absolutely. And, that, and that's kind of, for me... When we, we started it, it was, I'm not really sure what we're going to get from it, but I was always having great conversations with my network. And I thought, well, maybe this will force me to keep having these great conversations, which keeps me up to date with what's going on in, in the industries that I'm involved mm. in. So it's, it's really useful for me. And then there's obviously going to be a bit of kind of awareness or hopefully trust that people Definitely. will trust that you know what you're doing and, and that you know what you're kind of talking about through kind of doing all that and it's like you say it's i really enjoy kind of having the conversations with, with people Same. It's, it's, it's brilliant yeah how, how, how have you found it then is it something that you enjoy doing you're, I, you you've done a lot of episodes now as well right yeah i think we're i think this all we, I don't know, fifty-five or something. We, I'm, I'm not quite as structured. Ooh, as we're, we're neck and neck. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm one month I might kind of release seven, and then the next month none, and, and that's kind of how. <laughs> right. How okay. Do. But for 2022, I said, right, I've got to release one every two weeks. Was uh, was okay. A big thing. So yeah, you can you can hold me to that. Maybe we'll start <laughs> next year and see if I've actually done it. But yeah, it's it's just it's just really good fun, and it kind of holds it forces you to have these these brilliant conversations where i don't know if, you, if you're going to try and meet someone for a coffee to discuss business sometimes you can i don't know other priorities get in the way and this this i agree you. yeah yeah it's it's i found it really useful yeah and quite good fun as well i'm not too good at the technical side of it so yeah that that's that was a struggle for me but getting really well fortunately me, me neither fortunately i've got a producer who handles everything for me so uh, exactly. i get away with that brilliant well, Paul, thanks so much for coming on. Do you just want to give kind of a, a bit of information <laughs> to listeners about where they can find, where they can get in contact with C-Link? Um, and obviously we'll put some notes in the in, in the show notes with, with some links to the website. Where, where's the best way to cool. get in contact? Yeah, I mean, um, just get in touch. Our website is www.c-link.com. That's the letter C. And you can get me on paul at c-link.com. Tune into our podcast and the build after you've listened to the broadcast, you know, listen to us both. And yeah, feel free to get in touch. Always interested to speak to developers looking at changing how they work. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll make sure we've got links to the podcast and your website 
in the night. So yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and uh, hopefully we'll be able to have another chat again soon. Thanks, Rod. Really appreciate you having me on.